Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I hope you brought your Bible. If not your Bible, would you grab your devices? And would you turn with me, please? We're going to gather around because something, I was, I was going to go a direction and I switched again because I wanted to talk about this topic and it's in keeping with our series, In But Not Of, and we're going to two texts. The first is found, it's our series text in John chapter 17, so we're going to go there first and then we're going to slip over to Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can put something in it and if you have a device, you'll just have to slip over as soon as we're done, John. So John chapter 17, verse 15. Jesus is praying to the Father. And he prays this regarding his church. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth, Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I want to draw attention. There's three main things here. We've been talking about this for the last five weeks. But three main things. We can't miss that. This text is so an amazing text when we just milk these three of what he's trying to say. First of all, we are in a spiritual battle. Never forget it. We are in a cosmic battle. He said... Protect them from the evil one. We are actively engaged in spiritual battle. And because of that, he identifies our place where he says in verse 16, they, it's us. It's not simply a people that Jesus, because he was was praying, but he was talking of every follower. They are not of this world. This world, under the curse of sin is not our home. Not under its curse. This world is not our home. So they are not of this world. In other words, this world does not define me. But verse 18, but I have sent them into the world. So we have been sent into it. We're not of it. So don't conform. Don't let this world define us. And it will. There wide is the road that will define who we are try to define us. But in Christ Jesus, we're not of this world. We are of a different world. And it's the world that He has made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Therefore, He is our Lord. He is our Master. Not the system that self-serves us, that is cursed by sin, but it has been redeemed by Jesus. Amen? Okay, you know, we've been in isolation for three months. And... (laughs) Huh? We've been in isolation, and, and I couldn't do that because I could never hear you. It's pointless for me to say, say amen, because I know if I was sitting in my living room, I probably wouldn't say it. If I, if I was listening, if a televangelist says, say amen, I'm not saying amen. Like, he can't hear me, so why would I say amen, even though I might agree? Now, when we're in person, we can do that. Now, I know you're not supposed to yell it because we're not supposed to project our voices, but even just quietly, can we practice? Amen. Amen. Okay, there. It's out. Oh, you know, I missed that. Okay. The topic of what I want to share today, just for the next few minutes, is hit the reset button. It's time to hit the reset. Father in heaven, we just open our hearts to what that looks like. 
Lord, I can't find anywhere in Scripture where it actually uses the word reset because that's a new definition. But over and over, particularly in the New Covenant, I see reset, reset, reset over and over again. I pray that you would show us, but Lord, convict us of what reset looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text today is in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is a message coming. Uh, Peter has just got up. He preached a great message on the day of Pentecost. And then it describes what happened. This is the, the beginning. Acts 2, 42. They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This text is the foundation text of the church. It's a text that I believe every believer around the world needs to constantly reset to. It was a number of years ago, I was talking, a, a young man came to talk to me, and he had two major points of discussion. His two major points was uh, the, the church and Jesus. Well, it started with Jesus. And he didn't have a fundamental problem with this Jesus, even though he didn't understand him. But, he, but more of a problem, he, understand, he had a problem with the church. Like, why do we need church? We just need, like, whoever this Jesus is, so he's, he's the one we need to follow. But why the church? And, of course, he had never, he'd never a day been in the church. He was in his early 20s. Never a day had gone to church. We talked and discussed, and I began to talk about this particular passage as he began to talk about the church and I was talking you know here because they these people got together and teaching wasn't just meant to be one way it was meant to be a flow back and forth your left if we were gathered in a circle together and we were searching and reading and talking about Acts 2 42 to 47 we'd all have some something about this that we would share and just a, a way we're looking at it and saying yeah did you see how how he was saying this and it would just, we'd be speaking to one another. We'd be, the scripture talks about, we'd be prophesying to one another. We'd be speaking the words of the Lord to each other from scripture. And so the teaching is really meant to be flowing back and forth. It's reciprocal. And I says, that's, that's the early church was meant to do that. That's why you can't do that by yourself. And then it says that they gathered for fellowship. The word fellowship, koinonia. And the word koinonia is that they um, were able to share and feel safe in their sharing with each other. I learned this a number of years ago, early in my ministry, and it is this. Every single person has a story to share, but if they're not sharing it, it's because they're not safe. Everyone has a story to share. So when you hear somebody talking all the time, and somebody says, well, the others don't have anything to say, that's just not true. They just don't feel safe enough to share it, whatever that means. So in an environment, as you create the environment of engagement, 
embracing, you create a safety of sharing. And in that, fellowship takes place. And fellowship is so amazing. This is what part of what we're doing back together. Fellowshipping, sharing. More so in a smaller group setting, though, where sharing stories are shared back and forth. And I was telling him this, and I was talking about everyone was filled with was, was awe and many signs and wonders. They broke bread. They ate together. They had meals together. They had ice cream together. <laughs> they went to chocolate favorites together. And prayer. They prayed for each other. They had specific needs. They, they talked of the need and, and what, what can I pray for you? And, and you prayed together. And, we, and they had everything in common. In other words, when someone needed something, the other stepped in and helped out and they just looked after each other. And I finished talking to this guy. We, were, we probably spent a couple hours together. When he went, he went to his mother. His mother was around. He says, we got to go to this church on Sunday. He says, it's so amazing. And he was so fired up. It is so amazing. I mean, the, the, the teaching that they're engaged in and, and they're, they're hanging out with each other and they're connecting with each other and they... they learn to eat together and like each other and love each other and he's going on and on and I was just so excited as the day wore on I had an increasing sinking feeling in my gut because I began to think if he showed up on Sunday are we really like that hey, yeah you know what I'm talking about are we really like that I just built up the Acts chapter 2 church He's going to show up potentially on Sunday morning, and we're going to look a whole lot different. And that was my sinking feeling. And I thought, oh, no, what if maybe he needs to come out on the, you know, come to a small group. But, man, do, are they like this? And my heart was just falling. Oh, who, maybe I need to send him to another church. You know, ours is flawed. And I began, but I can't think of any other church that's just like this. And that was my sinking feeling. And that's the whole point of what I wanted to just start off today. Sometimes we have to hit the reset button. You ever gotten a device, maybe a phone or a device of some type, computer, and you start customizing it. You start changing things, you change the settings, you make it like yours, you change the colors, you change the background, you change this, change that, change this, back and forth, back and forth. And after a while, you can't get it to do what the purpose of it is to do anymore. It looks great. But it's not functioning the way you want it to function. And so there's this little thing. Usually it's a little tiny area and you get a, a paper clip and you, or a pin and you reach in and you hit the reset. So it goes back to the purpose of why the thing was made in the first place. Because you got running down all these new, strange, wild, wonderful things. But now you can't figure out how to work it anymore. And you have to hit the reset button so it goes back to its original design. Church. Here's the thing. There was a bunch of us about three, four weeks ago, well, three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, right after the Ford government said the churches could start regathering. About two days later, a hundred pastors, we got on a webinar. And in that webinar, there came this moment, and I sing, can't we sing? You know, can we stand? Can't we stand? You know, can we come in? Can we use the same bathrooms? Do we have to shut our bathrooms down? Blah, 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 blah. On we were going, trying to figure it out. And then there was a pause, and the pause was this. Before we're too quick to get back together, we need to figure out why God was a part. Now, I don't believe God brings death and sickness. But why God is allowing us to hit a reset button here. Because he's giving us an opportunity to hit a reset. Where we've gotten off track, it's time to get back on track. Amen. Thank you. It's time to get back on track. 
Because it's so, you know, we wind up the machineries and programs and, and things. And those are good. We're, we got children's programs and youth programs and women's programs and men's programs and seniors programs and programs for small groups. And not that they're bad, but sometimes we need people to feed our programs and not the programs to help our people. And they would get off track. So this was stirring in my heart, and I believe it's stirring as I'm hearing amongst the body, and it certainly was stirring amongst some ministers a couple of weeks ago. They, they didn't use the word, but they said, maybe we need to, before we get back in our buildings, figure out what we need to be doing and do it better. Because maybe we're not doing it that good. Wasn't that a reality check? God, how do we do it better? How can we be the church that's spoken of here in Acts chapter 2? So I'm going to share two things. Two things regarding what this means. And uh, it, it really began to stir in my heart back here a couple of weeks ago. I was reading by, maybe some of you have heard The Purpose Driven Life by Warren Wearsby. Warren, Rick Warren, thank you. Rick Warren, uh, the Saddleback Church down in California. Laura and I, we visited that church. And they had a series back about 20 plus years ago. And it's called Doing Life Together. And the church had bought that series, and so I went and began to go through that series back a number of months ago. I'm on, out of 36 sessions, I'm on session 26. The whole series is called Doing Life Together, and it stirred our hearts, and we as a church, we're going to initiate that program church-wide starting September, Doing Life Together. And the series is not meant to do singly, it's meant to do together. It's meant to do with some Christians. The purpose of it is that together... God has called us to grow, and apart, we just can't do it. Together, we're called to grow. Apart, we can't do it. Now, you say, well, I've, you know, I've, I've got my televangelist. That's not together. Even Zoom can only go so far. And so, what does it look? And so, it comes down to some of these things. Number one, here's my first point, in the world, for the world. Now, our series is called We're in the World But Not of the World. I want to suggest we're in the world for the world. So here's the question. We've got to, how do we hit the reset? Question number one. Is the, is the church to be defined by what it does or what it is? Now, I want you to answer that question. So you're, and I'm going to ask the question again, and I want you just to talk to me. Don't, don't yell, but talk. Okay, here's the question. Is the church to be defined by what it does or is the church to be defined, and don't say both, or is the church to be defined by what it is, okay? So go ahead and tell me, by what it does or what it is, just go ahead and speak it. Okay, okay, I heard both there. Now, the church to be defined by what it does means its function. Church to be defined by what it is means relational. If you go back to the Genesis account, and here's how we answer that question. Why did God create us? Did He create us to fix a broken world? Or did He create us to have fellowship? So we were created to have fellowship when we sinned. Then the second part of our creation was also to fix a broken world. But we were created to have fellowship. When Adam and Eve were created, they, 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 weren't, they didn't have to fix anything. right? They were created to have fellowship. Our primary fundamental purpose is relational. Our secondary purpose is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, I have come to set the prisoners free, to set the captives free. Secondary purpose. Primary purpose is to have relationship 
to be in relationship with people. He created us for relationship. And yet, here's what happens. We begin to exist in order to try to fix something instead of being in relationship with Him. And we get out of whack. Part of the reset button is that we're in the world for the world. We are Jesus to the world in relationship. If I do not engage in active relationship, I'm actually missing why I was created. It's not simply to find a broken situation and fix it. Part of it is primarily to be in relationship. Now, we go into this whole thing regarding uh, the second part of this, which is neighborly love. And there's a scripture found in Mark chapter 12. We're going to put it up for you. If you have your devices, turn to it, your Bibles. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers came to Jesus and asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Verse 29, the most important one Jesus answered is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor, but it's not necessarily 100% accurate. We've made part of our vision statement, loving God and loving others. Not wrong. We are to love God. That's the first thing. We will be ineffective. We will be dysfunctional in loving others if we have not got a good relationship with the love of the Father. But then we love others. But that second part is where we've missed it. Jesus actually never even said that. Remember we go back? It didn't say love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is love others as yourself. He didn't say that. What did he say? Somebody tell me. Love your neighbor. That's what Jesus said. We change his words if we put others in there. Because the others mean seven plus billion people. And to be honest, I don't know them. I don't know what they do. I don't know what they're struggling with today. I don't know their names. I don't know their face. I don't know their mom. I don't know their dad. I don't know the generational sins. I don't know their heartache. I don't know their aspirations. I don't know them. And what happens is we can get into the safety thing saying, and, and I believe, give to missions. I do. We do. But having said that, that we can feel like we're loving others, but if we don't have a face and a name and somebody concrete, we're not. Jesus didn't say love others. He said love your neighbor. That means a person with a face, a person with a name, somebody you actually see them. You're called to love them. You're called to impact them. That's what Jesus said. So they would ask Jesus at another time, who is my neighbor? And the story of going on the road to Jericho. The road to Jericho was the neighbor is anybody who cross sectors your path. So I've been really reaching out in the last three months. There's a, there's a guy down the road here. He's a little restaurant owner, him and his wife. They came from uh, Cambodia, and they're just really struggling making it go. And so it just, I, they're on Industrial Parkway, and it's just like, so I go there every week. And, and purchase and give tips and stuff. And, and I've, I've learned about this couple. I've learned that they got a son going into university. I've learned that they ran, they fled Cambodia in order to come here to make a new life. I've learned that they've only been in the restaurant business two and a half years. It's the first thing. They've never done it before. They've never ever done it before. I just learned this past week talking to them that their landlord, they, they owe and they can't make. They've only 30% of business in this last three months. And I've learned all about this taking place with this couple. They're my neighbor. They're my neighbor. It's the person next to us who got laid off from the bank and she's struggling and she's been home for the last how many months and struggling raising two. That's my neighbor. My neighbor is who I cross sector with. And we're to love them. 
That's what Jesus said. Loving people is not meant to be abstract. Loving your neighbor has a name, a face, somebody concrete that I'm to engage with. They are the people I'm called to love. He's called us into the world, for the world, to love our neighbor. So when we hit the reset button, we got to find these people. And they're my neighbor. That's the reset. It's about people. And we're, yeah, we're going to have programs and stuff, but not for the programs anymore. We're going to do it for people. It's going to be about how can we engage with them. And it's not one person. It's not a church. It's not an organization. It's not brick and mortar. I mean, this is a beautiful facility, but when we all get to heaven, this church dies. I mean, this, the building falls apart. It's about the people. It's about my neighbors. It's about me for the world. I'm going to close with this illustration. It's called the balloon stomp. You know of it. Many of you have played it. It used to be one of my favorite games as a kid. You tie a string to your ankle, a balloon on the other end. You get in a room, and the object of the game is to break everybody else's balloon. And whoever has the last balloon unbroken is the winner. Okay? You played it. So, I read a story. Robert Roberts tells a story of fourth graders who got together for the balloons. They explained the instruction for the balloon stomp. You're to break everybody's balloon. And they blew the whistle, and the kids just went into a fury, and they began to chase each other around, competitive. They skirmed. They pushed each other. Some got mad, breaking balloons, jumping on each other. And, and it was just chaos. Four grade fours until one child at last was left standing with a balloon. And, and when your balloon is broken, you have to go to the outside. And one last child... And so, the end of the, end of the game. Uh, even though that child won, they were the most despised child in that room. <laughs> right? Because they broke your balloon. And so, like, they win, but the, the victory sweet because really nobody wants to talk to them for a while. Because it was a very aggressive game. So, another class came in, and these were developmentally challenged fourth graders. These are people who have emotional problems, cognitive problems, people who struggle with competition, people who struggle with being able to uh, vent their feelings in a healthy way. Fourth graders who have developmentally challenged issues. And the organizers of the game were really concerned that because it was so competitive for the other group, these ones might have a meltdown. And they were quite concerned how it was going to happen. So they explained the instructions, you've got to stomp them balloons, and they went into the game. But as they started into the game, the game began to take on an entirely different feel. Instead of them running around in order to break each other's balloons, they came up with the idea that they would have kind of like a balloon co-op. They knew they were to break each other's balloons, but they would help each other. In other words, you didn't have opponents, you had teammates. They developed this unity balloon-breaking thing. So what they did, like for instance, they noticed this this one boy was trying to break the balloon of this girl. She's just standing there waiting for him. And he couldn't get the balloon to sit still. So she reached down and held it for him like a football. And he broke the balloon and they giggled. And then he reached down and held the balloon for her. And then she stepped on it and they giggled. And they did this and proceeded to do this until the last balloon was broken. And when the last balloon was broken, they all cheered and clapped. They all won. Now, the observers, the ones who planned the game, they were perplexed because they rewrote the rules to the game. Instead of opponents, there were teammates. 
Instead of losers, everybody won. Why? Because they worked together. So you ask the question, well, which rules were right? Well, the first rules were right. Break the balloons. It's one way to play it. Be aggressive. But the second rules, they rewrote it. They did it in teamwork. If we were to ask Jesus, what are the rules of the game today? I believe Jesus would say in John 13, 35, Jesus would say, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love each other. That's the rules. That's the rules. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.